You out there? You listening? Hello, and welcome to Society Owes Me a Gen X podcast with your hosts, Lily. Hello. And me, Hannah. And we're the podcast that goes A to X through grunge, indie, alt rock, pop, movies, soundtracks, TV, and general generation Catalano goodness. And today is P Day. Uh, <laughs> that <does> not came <laughs> Sounds wrong, yeah. doesn't it? <laughs> that didn't work. <laughs> On that note, <laughs> uh, over to you. Tell us what, what you're peeing about. <laughs> we're pumping up the volume today, Hannah. The glorious uh, 1990 movie. I more or less forced you to to watch it. Was it your first time? Or it did you watch absolutely it? was my first time, yeah. And can't believe it. Like, yeah, it was great. Absolutely loved it. Oh, wow. You've been very silent about it. So I, I guess you've been saving it for the episode. Well, I mean, I literally watched it two nights ago. Because so. I thought maybe you just hated it and that's why you hadn't mentioned it. <laughs> no, no, I can't believe I've never seen it. Although I suppose 1990, I was only 10. Um, but also... It's apparently very, very difficult to get hold of. So I don't know where you got your copy from, but thanks for lending it to me. It was a bit. I had to buy it on um, uh, Amazon, but I recently watched it in the last couple of years, and I think it was on YouTube. Uh, okay. No one sued me for that. but um, yeah, it's not on any of the streaming services. No, and the soundtrack is actually really hard to get hold of as well. So people have cobbled together what they can on Spotify, which is great. Um but we'll get into the reasons for that. And it's all, it is a bit strange. They did soundtracks a little bit differently in the early 90s and obviously going backwards from there. So it was directed by... Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> We've spoken about him before as well, haven't Alan we? Alan Moyle. <laughs> I suddenly I was like, oh my God, is it Robert? <laughs> of Empire Records. Wow. And it's actually in front of me, so I don't know what's wrong with me. Um, yeah, Alan Moyle said that soundtracks back then, um, they just were this completely different entity to the movie. They mm-hmm. were done by separate companies. Uh, they got what they could. And if they couldn't get the song that was in the movie, they'd get a cover version um, if they couldn't afford it, whatever. So it's, you know, it's a, bit, it's a bit of a funny one. And for that reason, I did create a lot more work for myself, which I did not intend to do. But um, I did the, the track listing for the soundtrack, but I've also done... The songs that are actually in the movie. Because there's mm-hmm. stuff... The soundtrack's a bit weird uh-huh. that way. And I think a lot of good stuff was left off it, probably because they couldn't pay for it. So anyway, pump up the volume. It came out on the 22nd of August in 1990, as we've established. And it's set in Arizona. Um, and just a basic premise. A pirate radio DJ, Happy Harry Hardon. Um, which no one says, but it's obviously after the three H's that appear in the high school, uh-huh. which is Hubert H. Humphrey High. I thought they made that up. <laughs> it's a kind of a... Oh, who is it? Is Hubert thing. H. Humphrey a real guy? Okay. Yeah. Real well, school? Maybe Americans will know this. Hubert Humphrey was vice president to LBJ. Right. And uh, a Democrat, but also supported Vietnam War. Um, and the HHH Fellowship Program fosters an exchange of knowledge and mutual understanding throughout the world to this day. So I don't know if using his name is supposed to be ironic or that he was this Democrat who also supported Vietnam War. Maybe it was just one of those kind of, hey, can't we be both type situations? I don't know. Or a masquerade because the high school is a bit of a hotbed of sort of sin <laughs> in, <laughs> in the teacher's lounge rather than elsewhere, which is usually the case in the old high school movie. Yeah, yeah. true. Um, so New Line Cinema um, was a fairly new enterprise at the time uh, who put out the movie. Also did um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Oh, really? Earlier this, the same year, actually. Um, it, a bit of Teenage Turtles. <laughs> <laughs> it was headed up by um, a guy called Robert Shea, who was incidentally... The older brother to the fabulous Lin Shay, who I don't know if you noticed in the movie. No. So Lin Shay uh, played um, Magda in Something About Mary. Oh. And Mrs. Dumas in Kingpin, you know. Uh-huh. <laughs> I absolutely love her. She's fantastic. She plays a concerned parent. Okay, I didn't notice that. During the, during the meeting, yeah. Fun you almost expect her to do that thing she does in Kingpin <laughs> every time I see her. <laughs> um... 
so I guess that's how she kind of got the role, maybe. Um, but anyway, so Robert Shea was responsible for changing the film name uh, because Alan Moyle wanted to call it Talk Hard. Okay. That but, sounds more like a um, like a sort of news show. Well, I guess that Hard was... Talk is what I'm thinking of, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah. John Humphrey. Um, yeah, they changed it to Pump Up the Volume inexplicably to capitalise on the success of the track Bump Up the Volume. You know, that awful... Yes. So Rings I, in my dreams. Uh, nightmares, rather. I was th- So I, I thought that the reason I hadn't seen this film was because it was about, like... Uh, I thought it was like dance a, music. Like, dance, yeah, I thought it was like a teen dance movie. And I still don't know what film I was thinking it was. Because I'm sure there was... I'm sure the film that I thought it was exists, but I don't know what it is. <laughs> I feel like it was called Bump Up Something or... I was Do, gonna do say, you know what I'm talking about? I, I was going to suggest Footloose. <laughs> no, 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 no. Much more recent. Much more recent. I would say it's like mm. a naughties film or something. No. It's, it's not a great title for the movie. It doesn't really explain much of anything other than pirate radio... Yeah. There's a volume control on your radio? I mean, is that really... Anyway, uh, Alan hated it. But he had to compromise in different areas and he knew that, you know... They kept a lot of stuff in that they wanted to get rid of because of he's... Apparently he's... People have described him as being a little bit crazy. Oh, in a really good way. Right. Yeah, really enthusiastic. He's known as the sort of crazy Canadian director. Yeah, I've listened to interviews with him about Empire Records and he... Yeah, eccentric. Yeah. He's a, yeah, he's a big character. So anyway, he, you know, he did what he could, but that was it. Uh, so the ringer.com called the film, uh, well, it said uh, the film functioned like a mixtape guide to a more interesting life. Oh, I love it. Which is great. Yeah. Fair. 1990 was a bit of a weird time. Well, what's that? He, in the intro, he says something about it, like the, he describes the decade and I thought, wow, that's a great way to put it. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to call it 90s. It's almost like this movie is less of a 90s film and more of a Generation X film, you know? Yeah, it's, it's like end of a... the end of the 80s. It's, yeah. this They could have made this film, ultimately, in any time in the 80s or probably even the 70s. You know what I mean? It's kind of pre-everything <laughs> everything we kind of know, isn't it? It's like pre pre-Gulf War, it's pre-9-11, it's pre-internet, it's mm. pre- but, but also a precursor to all that stuff, you know, it's like, you know, Pirate Radio you know, is, is the old podcast, really, isn't it? Yeah, totally, totally, absolutely. Um, well, look, seeing as we deal mainly in music commentary, you should probably get into yes. it. So, on the soundtrack, we have a Concrete Blondes version of Leonard Cohen's Everybody Knows... I'm going to just be honest and say I hate it. Oh, I really don't good. How, do you, how do you improve on the Leonard Cohen version? That's pretty, you know. They've done something with it, though. Like, I like that they haven't just done a straight lazy cover. I like that they've kind of rocked it up a little bit more. I prefer the Leonard version, obviously, but I, I found don't it object flat. to this. No, I quite like it. Maybe it's that sort of... You it's know, very... What's that song, you know, um, Nothing Can Stop Us Now? In that 80s song doesn't sound like that that's what the voice that's how she's singing a bit you know it's, I think it's a very it's a very Starship. like 80s rock exactly that's exactly big hair I'm yes. feeling the big hair and those long yeah she's wearing like a long skirt and also a long coat over it a la sort of Stevie Nicks yeah it's like pre four long blondes yeah yeah so yeah I'm not madly in love with it so I mean this is so good yeah this is great and what a cracking tune to open with the, you know, all the credits and all the tapes, cassette tapes, um, and seeing what he's got. And just, you know, that was the first thing he did when he went to somebody's room. You know, when yeah. you're getting to know someone, then you'd just be straight over there and see what they got, you know. I'd like to hear Nick Cave do, do a version of this. I think he Pretty can. much Nick Cave. <laughs> it is, isn't it? So yeah, Concrete Blonde, alt-rock outfit, in action primarily, um, or at least firstly between 82 and 95. 
Um, their IRS label mate, Michael Stipe, suggested their name. Oh. Back in 86. So you know <laughs> we've got to, got to mention REM. Well done. Well done. Whenever Take that we can. one off. Um, Leonard Cohen, obviously this version, the original, um, is included because he is the director's favourite artist. Also, he went to college at McGill, which is in Canada. Maybe he's got that affinity as well with Canadians. And, Interestingly enough, um, Rufus Wainwright also went to McGill. Rufus Wainwright, who procreated with Leonard Cohen's daughter, nice Lorca. Link. Very nice. Producing their daughter, Viva. And also, interestingly, Leonard called his daughter Lorca after his favourite poet and playwright, Federico Garcia Lorca. That does not surprise me in the slightest. <laughs> All right. What should we go to next? So. It's a great track. So it's Why Can't I Fall in Love? And this is when um, Nora and Mark are getting hold of each other. Oh, is this like the, the kissing scene? Yes. Unfortunately, you can't get the Ivan Neville version, but this is the Chad Savage. Is there a better frat boy name? <laughs> that was such an uncomfortable watch. Did you notice how many times it's she licked so her lips? It was so weird. It's excruciating. Yeah, it really is. I don't think teens really... Do you remember that? <laughs> like, it was just so much lip licking, it was bizarre. Do you also know how many movies, like, it must be a Christian Slater thing where the girl, like, they haven't even kissed yet and she's already got her boobs out. It's so weird. Yeah, it I must thought that was quite it. brave though, like, yeah. In someone's garden, you haven't even snogged them yet and you've already got your baps out. Really? <laughs> She knows. No, okay. I think she's. She's like. She knows what she wants. Though I think that was like quite different. It's not like most other nineties. But I think she, like she. She is. She's like. She's just. Uh, she knows what she wants. She's liberated. She's not waiting for the guy to make the first move. Like I really admire that about her. I wish I could have been like that. Well, don't don't forget though. She doesn't know for certain that the stuff he says he does on air is not necessarily stuff he really does do. So her getting them out. What does that say? I, I think mean, she's worked him out. I think she's very clever. Let's hope so. Anyway, even as a girl, I'd say, whoa. <laughs> nah, disagree. Wasn't very organic, you know? Or maybe that's her, maybe that's a statement of her boldness. But I'm just saying Marissa Tomei does the exact same thing in Untamed Heart and they haven't even kissed yet either. And you're like, what? Something about Christian, you know, he, he gets his very hairy chest for a 16 year old, by the way. Oh, I didn't notice that. Gets his chest out and he just inspires it. Women just want to rip off their tops in his presence, I guess. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. <laughs> I'm glad I've never met him in the street. <laughs> <laughs> no, I thought she was a like, really interesting got character. It. I'm not she was gonna lie. <laughs> and the way that she's like driving the car and stuff, and like, yeah, like she's a, yeah. Um, that was probably because he had so many DUIs at the time. <laughs> well, he really lost his license. He did, actually. <laughs> um, he was something of a handful back in the 90s. Uh, yeah, he got done for drink driving, drug fuel freakouts. He was involved in a high-speed car chase. He drove into a telephone pole. Oh, my God. Apparently, I vaguely remember this from the 90s. Yeah, in a stupor of tequila and cocaine, he punched the girl he was with. He has no memory of this. Oh, God. And then tried to throw himself off the balcony. And he says he doesn't remember anything except the strong desire to kill himself, which he does recall, as a matter of fact. Shit, Christian. Yeah, and then he attacked the policeman that came to, to get him and literally had to sort of drag him off to jail. So, uh, wild child. Uh, the Guardian actually interviewed him in 2015. They said, uh, there is a certain tradition among celebrities whose lives have gone wrong in that direction to say, yes, I used to be a drunken asshole, but now I'm sober. What's different and likeable about Slater is that he's only really saying that he used to be drunk and now he's working on not being an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> is he sober? He is. Huh. As far as we know. <laughs> um, anyway. Let's get back to <laughs> So yeah, sorry, sorry, Ivan, and also Chad, because there really isn't much to say. This version is not in the movie, it's Ivan Neville, but no one can listen to it because it's impossible to get the soundtrack and it's not on Spotify or iTunes. I tried to buy it 
This is my desperation on the subject. But anyway. Yeah. No, no, we've got about 25,000 songs to get through anyway. We sure do. Um, and the next one is another one. Um, we Can't Get the Cover, which was by uh, Liquid Jesus. Um, so the track is called Stand and it's a cover of Sly and the Family Stones. Listen to that. Liquid Jesus, what a name. I know, it's great, isn't it? Um, so Liquid Jesus were an experimental LA-based quintet uh, who formed in 1990 and were tipped at the time to be the next James Addiction. See our James Addiction episode, of uh, But apparently way crazier, so whoa, let your mind really run with that. <laughs> um, so I guess they couldn't afford the the Ridge version and they got Liquid Jesus to, to do it. Very hair metal-y looking, looking fellas. Would have been lovely to hear more about them. It's not even a Wikipedia page so that's weird. Super, super um, mysterious. Alright, we're going to move on to the Pixies. So this is Wave of Mutilation. Or just Pixies. I made that Smashing Pumpkins mistake again, didn't I? Oh not right, the not Pixies. there. Yeah, yeah, okay. Pixies. Pixies. So, Pixies, the alt-rock outfit from Boston, uh, formed in 1986. Uh, Kim Deal joined the band by responding to an ad in the paper looking for a bass player who liked uh, the folk band Peter, Paul and Mary, as well as Husker Du. When she turned up, though, she didn't have a bass player, uh, a bass guitar because she couldn't play bass. But she was just really intrigued by the advert, and she was also a very good guitarist. She's also a multi-instrumentalist now, but uh, anyway, I guess they liked her because she was in, and also no one else responded to the ad, so they kind of had to take her. (laughs) Worked out well. Yeah. Obviously, she went on to form the Breeders with her twin sister, Kelly, who is 11 minutes older than her. We should cover them at some point. Mm. And Tanya Donnelly. Not in our band, in our podcast. And in fact, I think the uh, Pixies got a record deal because they were playing, or they were opening for Throwing Muses. And they're going to be opening for Pearl Jam! I hope. We hope. (laughs) Yeah. Thanks to the latest announcements. Nothing is promised, is it? Um, So, frontland Black Francis disbanded Pixies in 1993 by letting everyone know via fax. (laughs) (laughs) You can't get more Gen X than that, can you? <laughs> I'd love to see that back. <laughs> I hope they kept a coffee. I feel oh. like we recently discussed someone like breaking up with someone over facts or something as well. <laughs> God, what was it? It's pretty cold, I have to say. Mm. Get this name Black Francis for nothing. He's got a very dark sense of uh, humour. Okay, this is... I've got a miniature secret camera by Peter Murphy. That's creepy. This is super duper 80s like. So Peter was lead singer for Bauhaus. Yeah, I don't like this song. And a Brit. You can hear that, you know? Yeah, it's 80s. Uh, I can't. I was listening to a bit of it earlier and I had to fast forward to the next. It's not my cup of tea. I've just got. Hurrah! <laughs> written down, so I don't know yeah. where I was going with that thought, but yeah, but there's something kind of B52-ish about it, but I really like yeah. B52s, but I don't, I just, I can't do this. I know what you mean. I do know what you mean. All right, we're gonna move on. This one is absolutely brilliant. This is MC5 and Kick Out the Jam. Oh yes, it's through Pearl Jam that I discovered this. They've covered it loads. Yeah, what's, what's crazy is this track is from 1969. Yeah, I know. It doesn't sound it, does it? How? Yeah. Um, yeah, that really spins me out. They formed in mid-60s Detroit, so that's like Motown. Yeah, it's And mad. this is happening down the street. Like, it just doesn't... It's great, yeah, it's so punk. So they've been described as the most important hard rock group in America of that era. I agree with that. There weren't a lot of hard rock <laughs> artists around then so it was probably easy but it's still uh, an epic track um, but for the album version if anybody ever has it or listens to it or, or is able to find the tracks because god knows I couldn't um, it was covered by Bad Brains featuring Henry Rollins which is also a brilliant match I love that um, lead singer of Bad Brains born in Liverpool 
Oh, really? Yeah. Oh. Transplanted as a toddler to, to the States. And apparently most of the band converted to um, being Rastafarian after seeing Bob Marley in concert. Oh, wow. Speaking of Liverpool bands, saw two amazing Liverpool outfits the other week. Uh, actually bought tickets. Got, my husband's bought four tickets to see a band called Orchards, so you and your husband get first dibs if you want to come oh, in nice. March. So good. Check out Orchards and Zuzu. Will Paul's do. house is amazing. I did uh, see the clips that you put up, which I, I liked it a lot, so... Come along. I'm going to go ahead and say we're in. Excellent. <laughs> All right. Okay, unfortunately... Um, the next uh, track on the soundtrack is Freedom of Speech by the band Above the Law. But we can't have that. Because it's not there. <laughs> but I will tell you that the track is really good. Um, the, the band Above the Law are fantastic. And their album, their first album, was produced by Dr. Dre, which is before he released The Chronic. And was subse- subsequently crowned like the, um, you know, G-Funk king. Uh, but Above the Law took kind of exception to that and they were like, wait, you produced our album, but that's our sound. And then they became, you know, a brilliant band, but they, they just didn't sort of find the heights, unfortunately. They don't um, exist anymore then? Uh, not to my knowledge. Um, they were signed at the time to Easy es um, record label, Ruthless Records. So Easy was in NWA with Ice Cube and Dre. And then they all kind of had a big old falling out for money. Uh, and you know who put money in initially and who gets the royalties and who paid for this and who paid for that and they all fell out um, and God that's really never happened in a band before Shocking, <laughs> yes um, to the point that above the law who weren't technically involved except that they were working with Dr Dre and they were signed to Easy's record so inevitably they came a cropper with Ice Cube and his posse the lynch mob um, which got everybody into trouble but um, anyway Moving on. Ooh, the next one you're going to like. Soundgarden's Heretic. Excellent. God, how are we not covering Soundgarden? I know, it's disgusting and I hate myself. Um, So this version is quite different from the original recording that appeared on 1986's Deep Six. He uh, had it mastered and I believe they even re-recorded it for for a kind of a Lost Dogs-esque um, albums, which I think they called they, they called it something like uh, road markers on on the path to where we are now kind of thing. But it was okay. yeah, basically Lost Dogs uh, birth rituals on it as well, and it's actually a pretty epic uh, album. And if you want to know more about the Deep Six album, because you don't know, then check out our M is for Proto Grunge from our first volume, way back from last year. Yeah, Chris Cornell never gets old. No, he is indeed immortal. He is going to get old right now because I'm going to bump him for Sonic Youth. Sonic oh! Chris. I know, I know. Uh, so this is Titanium Expose. Sonic Youth again, they crop up everywhere, don't they? Yeah, they are everywhere. <laughs> so this is a love song that appears on the album Goo, which also came out in 1990. I've got a fun fact for you. Ooh. Thurston used to be a neighbour of Madonna before she was out. Out where? You know, before she was anything. Oh, before she were out. <laughs> and oh. they were on terms where they would say hi to each other. That's check nice. Check in with each other. Oh, lovely. Um, uh, he was amazed at her meteoric rise, uh, but loved her. Used to wear her t-shirts on tour. Um, and he said that actually the whole band found her to be a revolutionary in the late 80s. Ah, she absolutely was. They, she was apparently in um, in Swans, or she was in a band with the two guys, the brothers from Swans, uh, which is obviously the no-wave group that are closely associated with Sonic Youth and the noise rock oh, era. I didn't know that. Well, apparently Thurston said not a lot I of mean, people know that. Madonna's involvement, no. <laughs> hmm. The Braun, uh, Brown Brothers, apparently. Uh, also, Sonic Youth covered her. Um, they put out <laughs> they put out Into the Groovy on uh, an SST sublabel, uh, New Alliance, and they put it out under the band name Sicconi Youth. <laughs> do you know what? I know that. <laughs> I'm sure you do. <laughs> I nearly did. I nearly made M. Uh, M for 
were like Madonna covers, but I just couldn't find enough decent ones. And for my worst but nightmare. that would have been on it. <laughs> <laughs> this one takes a, a bit of a while to, to get going, I'm afraid, so. All right, I'm gonna move on. So this is the original version of the cover that appeared on the soundtrack. This is Robert Johnson's Me and the Devil Blues. Cowboy Junkies did a cover, can't find it. But who cares, because the original's way better anyway. <laughs> I'm just gonna guess. How Where does not this be? happen Listen to this. in the film? I don't know, because it's not this, oh, it's not this version, right? okay. uh, track. Um, but anyway, it was recorded in a warehouse in Dallas in 1937, in what was to be his final recording session. Oh. That's crazy, isn't it? 1937. Traveling back in time a long um. way tonight. Dog. Yeah, so the soundtrack didn't actually come out the same time as the movie. It came out about a week before, bizarrely, on MCA Records. But good luck again in finding that for yourself. Do you want to talk a little bit about Samantha Mathis, who plays Nora? Yeah, go on. Um, Samantha's mother was Bibi Besh, who was also an actress. Um, she played... I can't, can't even believe I'm including this much of this woman. She played Mrs. Worthington in the Madonna vehicle, Who's That Girl? You just keep wanting to talk about Madonna. I can't get away from her, <laughs> literally. Um, Samantha also played an aspiring country musician in one of my favourite 90s movies, The Thing Called Love. It's so good. Peter Bodanovich, it's excellent. Um, anyway, um, they were obviously each other's love interest. It came out in 93 and they fell in love, for real. Samantha was with him the night that he died. Um, she said she didn't even know he was taking drugs. She thought he was acting a bit strangely, but he said he'd taken some cold medication or whatever. And knew something was up, but didn't know what. Um, so she was, um, <clears throat> understandably, completely heartbroken. So River had partially shot his role um, as the journalist for Interview with a Vampire. But obviously he died, and they, weirdly then, um, they recast Christian Slater in the role, which was awkward. A bit creepy, yeah. Um, Christian Slater knew River Phoenix, and they were good friends, and so he felt really weird about it as well. He obviously was in a short relationship with Samantha Mathis when they were filming Pump Up the Volume. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. Um, so I guess she sort of gave it her blessing or whatever. But anyway... Christian can be a good guy. He donated all the money that he got from the movie to uh, causes and charities um, that River supported. Okay. So, he did the right thing, eh? It wasn't all bad. No, I mean, <laughs> he's obviously, he, he has problems. <laughs> all right, I'll just stick this on for the... I don't know if you're familiar with this. Nope. So this kicks off the movie. So we've... Basically, come to the end of the soundtrack. Now we're going to talk about the, the songs that are actually in the movie that you can remember. So this is playing when they're all uh, on the school buses at the beginning, and all the kids are talking about Ice T. And this new track, which is um, L G B N A F. What does that sound for? It's coming. <laughs> There you go. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks for not making me Um Do love a bit of ice tea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there's another guy who knows what he wants. <laughs> Absolutely. Back Christian Slater has said he he was also he said he was a walking hormone as a youth um, as well as his drinking problem uh, and that he has said that um, acting with Winona Ryder and Heather's she is still his dream girl and that he did declare his love she wasn't interested but you know he still thinks she's perfect she's very sweet I wonder who she was with at the time Dave Perna maybe oh yeah she was with someone. Don't make it tough, girl. Let's 
Yeah. That would have been would really have been interesting right for me time, to tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Don't think she was with Dave Perna yet. Do you reckon? Anyway. Dave right. Perna over Christian Slater. Crazy. <laughs> Crazy girl. He obviously didn't take his top off. You should know by now, Christian. How do you not know that? All you have to do is take off your jumper or your t-shirt or whatever it is you're wearing. Perfect. Okay. We're going to move on to the Descendants, which is great. Excellent. Um, the track is from their 1987 EP, Extra Fat. 13 seconds long, shortest track by far. Shocker. I'm sure we'd be amazed to hear that. Um, would you like to know what the lyrics are? Yeah, go on. Very, very fast. Okay, so it's the bass player, Tony Lombardo, saying, um, Welcome to Wiener Schnitzel, may I take your order, please? And the singer is Milo Alkerman. He says, yeah, I want two large Cokes, two large pies, chili cheese dog, large Dr. Pepper, soup deluxe, the cheese de <laughs> And Tony says, you want Bill sperm with that? Oh. And he said, no. Uh, Bill is Bill Stevenson, who's the drummer. It's always playing on the track. Uh, interesting thing about Bill is that uh, when the singer Milo um, decided that he wanted to go to university... Uh, because he says he was a big nerd and he wanted to do biology, which he did. Uh, he, uh, I think he was at San Diego and he eventually got his PhD in biochemistry. And uh, he would tour with them in the summer breaks and record when he could on weekends and, and stuff. Uh, and he eventually became a molecular biologist and an adjunct professor at the University of Delaware. All right, cool. But then he chucked it all in to do music full time, ultimately, which is a strange choice. People usually go the other way, don't they? Um... <laughs> But anyway, um, in that hiatus, Bill joined Black Flag, which brings us back to Henry Rollins, which is always a happy place. Nice, nice. Have you heard their Christmas song? Who's the Descendants? <clears throat> I'll save it for for next week. No, I thought episode. you meant Black Flag. I was going to say I'm really <laughs> struggling to imagine what a Christmas flag is. Oh, they I'm should sure totally do is. one. There probably is one. I don't know about it, but. Okay, uh, we're going to go to uh, the uh, Urban Dance Squad with Fastlane. Again, I thought this was going to be a, like Urban Dance Squad. You're yeah. thinking Pump Up the Jam, you're not thinking. I was thinking of things. that film that I can't think of the name of. It's pretty good. Dutch rap rock band from Utrecht. They named themselves after Parliament Funkadelic's album Urban Dance Floor Gorillas. Right. I'm looking for a good time to tell you something sad. <laughs> when I can tell you it. Damn. Is this uh, Ice Tea was death certainly bingo. not the time. Uh, death bingo. Uh, hmm. We should do some pod bingo sheets actually. Oh yeah. Unfortunate death. REM. Madonna. I like it. Sonic Youth. Madonna's death. Slater. I like it. No, I'm just kidding. She's gonna live forever, obs. <laughs> She's not going anywhere, ever. Post nuclear holocaust, Madonna will be there. In a pointy bra and a hanging out of something or other. <laughs> Alright. <clears throat> so, Alan Moyle um, wrote the film as well as directing it. Is this the sad fact? He what considers kind of... it, well, he loves the movie, um, and as much as Moyle can love any of his movies, he feels conflicted because of all the things he had to give up, and it's not exactly how he wanted it, you know, it's difficult for uh-huh. him. But he says it is one of his favourites. Um, the original script was a lot darker, um, which definitely warranted the Leonard Cohen... He, there was a lot more Leonard Cohen, it was a lot, lot darker, because... Basically, the idea was based on a story that he wrote um, when he'd he'd uh, directed a film and it didn't go over very well and people basically massively slagged it off. Uh, Times Square, I think. Okay. So he was like, well, fuck it. He moved to Greece and decided he was going to be a novel writer and he wrote a novel. And, um, and then I think he kind of got lured back and he had this idea. And it was based on... He knew a kid when he was growing up. Uh, he comes from a small city in Quebec. And this kid had a printing press in his basement. 
and he would um, print out anonymous pamphlets and distribute them around school and they'd be about his musings, uh, complaints about things and uh, apparently it was really funny and really well written and or it would be about the school and how shit it was or about some of the teachers and their, you know... Was it, it was anonymous blatant. then, was it? Yeah, like, okay. yeah. I mean, people knew it was him. Some people knew it was him, I guess. Uh-huh. They were they were friends. Um, but then he unexpectedly committed suicide in the woods nearby. He shot himself with a twenty-two, which is obviously one of the themes in the, in yeah. the film, which is absolutely based on that. Um, and yeah, Alan Moyle was always really, really sad that that had happened and that he felt that if he just hung on a bit longer and, and taken himself off to a big city like, you know, New York or Chicago or somewhere where he could meet more people like him and not feel so alone. I think the implication was he may have been gay because the kid in the movie originally, um, it was very explicit that he was gay uh-huh. and that's why he was killing himself. But they kind of made it a side thing where another guy calls in and says yeah, he's yeah. gay and the guy shoots himself. And, and I mean, the, the actor actually said, they told me I was gay in it you know that's what I was acting um but then um I guess the film company didn't like it they didn't like that he killed himself because of that so I'm sure it all felt very ironic to to Moyle yeah, with his yeah, film it's... about sort of censoring teenagers and I mean it's pretty funny when you think about the radio I had to explain this to my kid the other day and even I had to laugh at how bizarre I was trying to explain to him that basically people don't swear in the day but you can swear at night. <laughs> How did you explain that? Well, in my head, I was thinking watershed. Well, obviously, he doesn't know what the watershed yeah. is. You know, there's no, you know, understanding for him after 9pm. People can say what the fuck they want. <laughs> but not before, you know, and you can get into big trouble and yeah. stuff. So basically, it boiled down to me saying, you can only swear at night. You can't swear at work That's or on the amazing. radio or on television. <laughs> And you can't play a movie that has swearing in it. But at night, it's okay. So, New Year, you're going to let them stay up a little bit later. No. It's going to be effing blinding. <laughs> it's allowed. It's after 9pm, is... mummy. Exactly. This is the reason. This it's is after when... fucking 9pm. <laughs> when you change the time they go to bed, <laughs> then you get the beers out and you go fucking mental and you swear oh. like a navvy and it's gross. Love it. Love it. <laughs> but it is bizarre, isn't it? <laughs> When is the point? There is a point in everybody's life where finally they say, like, the F word in conversation with their parents. And their parents don't, like, smack them over the head with a book or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, there are some families who are a lot more relaxed about it. But in my family, the book was heading to you (laughs) on the wind. (laughs) If you ever dared. I don't think we ever... We didn't actually dare. But anyway. So yeah, so very, very sad reason, but it obviously really stuck with him. He never forgot yeah. that. Um, no, you wouldn't. The first draft uh, was called Radio Death, and it was about a young pirate um, DJ who goes on the radio to talk about how he's going to kill himself. That and that he's come to the end of his road. No. Um, but So he thinks he's talking to the void, um, but then he starts to kind of get listeners and interaction, and he kind of hears himself talk as well I think uh-huh. and kind of talks himself out of it and then realizes like his own people therapist there. yeah but also you know finding that kinship in others mm. which is definitely a theme of the movie as well yeah yeah massively um I mean it's so of the time isn't it you you couldn't make it in this day and age because well yeah phones no one was listening to the radio you know you know what I mean yeah, I mean, yeah. like you said, the modern day equivalent could be a podcast, but then, you know, who would be listening to it? You know, it's not like your radio station where there's nothing else to do. There's nothing on the radio except, you know, if there's like a cheeky but pirate what, station. Yeah, but we're we're so connected now, and like teens are so connected, like they don't know what it's like to 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 be alone. I mean, obviously, like you know, everyone They're too feels. Connected. Well, dare I say it? <laughs> Sounding like a. Proper old bogey. But yeah, like it's like, you know, obviously everyone can, you know, you can still feel very alone, you know, no matter how connected you are. But yeah, this is like, you know, these, especially, you know, Christian Slater's character moves from, you know, wherever back east is, where, you know, it sounds like it was. New York is the implication. Okay, so, you know, way more interesting than the backwaters that he's moved to in Arizona. Um, But yeah, like this is, you know, before 
before MySpace and all of that, mm. you know, when we started, you know, and when, you know, dial-up started, we began, you oh, know, I remember dial-up. the first time, you know, I went onto Rocknet and got, like, contributors to my fanzine. It's like, wow, there are other people who are into, you know, my music. And you, you I don't think teenagers today will ever know what that feels like because you can so easily find you know people who are into the same stuff because because we are just so so connected yeah no totally i was um i used to go on the trivia um what are they called like trivia rooms on yahoo uh-huh so it would just be basically be like a, a quiz bet and you the did first- <laughs> And the first person to work, it was great. Let's we test were, our general knowledge. We were kind of like buddies. No, they were really funny. They were really funny people. And um, yeah, from all over the English speaking yeah. continent. So it was really, yeah. God, I remember connecting with someone from Croydon who was into like <laughs> smashing pumpkins. It was so exciting. It's like, where's Croydon, Dad? <laughs> oh my God, it was like <laughs> <laughs> Fifty miles up the road. And the guy's talking to someone in North Carolina. <laughs> <laughs> it was still the nineties, damn it. It counts. Um the uh, one of the film's producers actually said about this film, Alan was well past his teenage years, but he was speaking as a teenager. He was still very much in touch with the angst and anger and frustrations of being that old and having self awareness and not being taken seriously. He is Winnie Hartsman. Absolutely, yeah. There is that kind of understanding of that. Um it is interesting. I was reading, so there's a Stanford University report that they basically wanted to know, is Generation X unusual in oh, comparison yeah. to all the others? The disaffected youth thing. Um, oh, what no. they found is that, so they did a survey and it started in 1972 and they compared, at the end of the 90s, they compared the 90s responses to the survey uh, to the 80s and the 70s to see if it was true. And it was true, um, but it oh, was sorry, incremental. Was it was true that the 90s had produced the most disaffected, but it wasn't just the youth. It was it was like 35% of respondents. Where, didn't matter how old they were. They were just Generation X. Uh-huh. And they had started from the 70s. So it had been building. It was like 25% in the 70s. Then it was 30% that identified with these feel, feelings of dissatisfaction. And they said the other interesting thing is it didn't, the dis- dissatisfaction and disaffection didn't emerge from social isolation and absence of meaningful binding social ties, which this film would suggest a little bit, you know, that yeah. kind of isolation. But from the view that major familial work and political institutions are rife with corruption and winding down with no obvious regenerative forces or possibilities in sight. Well, yeah, I was just thinking, I wonder what the responses would be today and i would imagine fairly similar i would you know being a youth today feel feel pretty fucking disaffected i would think you know world's a shit show (laughs) (laughs) happy happy (laughs) but i mean i think this generation is very very different from generation x in many 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 ways but yeah. The disaffection, sadly. But then we were young in the 90s and we would have said that and we would have counted ourselves as Generation X. And thank goodness, because otherwise we called our podcast a really bad name. Oh, I still think I'm a Xennial. <laughs> but okay. Well, you, you can You're walk between worlds, let's <laughs> okay. say that. I'll pick and choose. <laughs> yeah, whenever Not it millennial. You, just do <laughs> <Xennial>. that. <laughs> Elder millennial. I'll take that. But, uh, you know, and we were old enough to have responded to that particular survey. You know, we would have been the youth mm. at that time. Um, but uh, yeah anyway interesting so this uh, figures uh, he plays this on the radio it's uh, it's the young bloods and get together when he's making the point that his uh, parents uh, the ex-hippies are really the worst hypocrites because they're such sellouts and they, they used to be at peace and love and freedom and everything and now they're the corporate suits and you know the oppressors and you know they're not the Young Bloods. What have Young Bloods named after? Well, the Young Bloods. You can make the Apparently, uh, the lyrics were used at the beginning of Territorial Pissings. Yes, 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 yes. I recognise that. I can see Come your on, face going. I know this song. <laughs> yeah. I don't know why. <laughs> that was a that's a fun fact for you. Um. 
Yes. Can we go to... Yeah. <laughs> there it is. Maybe uh, maybe he was saying the same thing. Like, is it Chris Novoselic that does it in directorial proceedings? I read that it was actually Kurt. Was it? Okay. I'd, I'd always thought it, it was... I don't know why I thought that. No, I thought that too. Okay. I don't know. Sometimes you read both and you just think, for yeah. fuck's sake, nobody really knows. It doesn't sound like Kurt. It doesn't even sound like something Kurt would do. I totally agree. But in this research, I did read that it was him. Okay. But I too always thought it was Kurt. Anyway. Um, another actress is Lala Slopeman, who plays Nora's bestie. You know, cool girl. She's got really cute little outfits. Uh, long blonde hair and, uh, and the cute, like, uh, Lisa Lowe glasses. Oh, the one who glasses. burns all her stuff in the microphone? No. This oh. is her mate in it. Um, she's not in it tons but um, what's interesting about Lala Slopeman is that she is Frank Zappa's niece and her cousin Ahmet Zappa who is Frank Zappa's son he's also in the movie plays like a bit part Um, family affair here we go with our connection to Oasis from last week and that is that Lala Slopeman was married to Chris Robinson of the Black Crows in the 90s she was his first wife Oasis toured with the Black Crows and Space Hog, who I accidentally wrote Space Pig when I was writing down my notes. <laughs> really made me laugh. <laughs> Space Pig is a much better name. <laughs> Sounds like a kid's cartoon. <laughs> Space Pig! Um, anyway, they toured in 2001. The tour was called Brotherly Love because Liam and Noel, Royston and Nancy. <laughs> Chris and Rich. Oh, cute! And they all, I mean, I don't know about Royston and Anthony, I don't really know much about Space Pig, but. Leave them all hate each other, and Chris and Rich famously, please see Black Crow's episode, um, spent like 15 years not speaking to each other. So. Yeah, I, I always like Space Hog, I haven't listened to them in ages. <laughs> can you ever think of them? It's because I can never find Space, Space Pig, Pig on Spotify. <laughs> All right, here's a good one. I did not know this song, but I really liked it. This is Richard Hell and the Voidoids with Love Comes in Spurts. Some, oh, yes, this is brilliant. Some great band names on this it soundtrack. Is. So, Rich. Uh, it's just so gross. <laughs> it's brilliant. I can't think about anything else. It's so Yeah, I did. I rewatched <laughs> this with my husband, and uh, yeah, there were some awkward moments, and I was like, I'm married to you. This is so weird. It's a bit like he was kind of looking at me like we didn't do this <laughs> teenage boys weren't doing this um okay richard hell was from the band television oh he left to form the voidoids with mark bell who later was marky ramon very punk rock <laughs> it's so funny <laughs> that's not love guys um, in fact, this fits in very nicely to another um, character in the movie. She plays uh, the disgraced, knocked-up gal, Cheryl Biggs, who gets reinstated after they discover that the school is picking oh, right, up kids. Yeah, yeah. Uh, real name Holly Sampson. Turns out uh, she is uh, now, uh, how do we say it, uh, a rather prolific adult entertainer. Oh, yes. Um, appearing in such memorable movies as Sexual Witchcraft and Eat My Feet Volumes 1 and 2. <laughs> oh, appropriate song then. There's something for everyone, literally. Oh no! It this hurts. is probably on it's one of the soundtracks. <laughs> oh, so good. It's cute, right? And move on to was not was. My dad loved this band. I find this really hard to listen to. Hello, Dad. I'm in jail. My dad said this all the time. He thought it was fantastic. Um, so, was not was guitarist Wayne Kramer was the guitarist for MC5. Oh wow! Yeah. He also recorded with Gigi Allen. Does that ring any bells for you? No. Tell me. So, Gigi Allen. Uh, was born Jesus Christ Allen. His dad was some sort of paranoid, just off his rocker really. I don't know if he had any diagnosis or what, but uh, very deeply religious. Wow. Kept the family, um, you know, isolated. Um, I think eventually the mother got away from him. And anyway, Jesus Christ turned, changed his name to Gigi instead. 
Buzzy. Jesus Which... Christ, Alan. That just sounds like you're being told off all the time. <laughs> Jesus Christ, Alan. <laughs> um, yeah, he was notorious for uh, doing some pretty crazy things on stage. I mean, forget Dave Navarro. <laughs> I was going to say, but he's not on the Wow. No. Okay. Um, would he have got on with old what's his name from Samson? Well, he was no, actually, that wasn't his bag, as far as I know. Um, he was recently flagged up because you know that band lately where the lead singer pulled down her pants and weed in someone's mouth. It was in the news everywhere. No, she's like this relatively unknown. Recently, yeah, okay, it was like last month, and everyone was up in arms. And, oh my god, why would you? Which truly, why would you? But anyway, she did. And did she you like, like L7? Oh. I don't know. I got carried away. There's pictures of her weeing in this guy's mouth. It's really I've unpleasant. I've been living under anyway. a rock for the past month. But people were like, what's the big deal? Because Gigi Allen. Um, oh, so God, he would he uh, crap on stage, self-mutilate. And the whole thing at his gigs um, was that he would, he promised basically, he's promised everybody that he was going to kill himself on stage. So oh. they could all watch. And that actually attracted people to come to the shows because... People are fucked up, dude. And uh, they would turn up just in case he did do it, um, which he fully apparently planned to do. But he accidentally uh, killed himself with a drug overdose at age 36, and we never got to execute that plan. Jesus Christ. GG. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Okay, so, so we're, we're on double double death in the bingo. Uh, yeah. Uh, okay, this is Stan Ridgway and Talk Hard. I feel like Coyote Shivers totally kind of robbed this guy blind <laughs> of a persona, really. Especially, wait till you hear him sing, it's like, what? Another Canadian, Coyote Shivers. Mm. Also Empire Records. What's, didn't he have a link to BB as well? Yeah, what was his wife called? That's BB Buell. Yeah. Listen, oh, listen. Yes, it really is, isn't it? That's crazy. I can't believe he. Anyway, Stan Ridgeway was a founding member of Wall of Voodoo. Stan was once arrested age 12 and imprisoned in jail for stealing street signs in his hometown of Barstow, California. That is a great thing to get arrested for. <laughs> uh, a good link to Black Francis from the Pixies. He has produced albums for Frank Black and the Catholics, which is Black Francis's gig these days. Yeah. Nice. You know, this next track wasn't on it, but it was in the opening credits where you can see his tapes. Oh, the cassette tapes. It was Camper Van Beethoven. And come on, darkness. So David Immerglick from uh, Camper Van Beethoven, which is an absolute belter of a, a band name, yeah. I have to say. I do love it. Um, he ended up um, joining Counting Crows, which we have talked about. Um, the singer, David Lowry, uh, went on to form Cracker. Yep. Which obviously uh, contributed a whole lot of trouble to Empire Records. Which was also well, a big old fan. In case you forgot. Yeah. yeah. Link, 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 link. This is nice. Uh, fun fact about the movie Christian Slater got physically sick from all the fags he had to smoke. Yeah, he smokes a lot, doesn't he? Yeah. How did his parents, like, never figure out what was... I mean, they got close, didn't they? But how did they never go and visit him in the basement? I mean, like, it's ridiculous. I said the exact same as a parent now. I actually said the same thing the other day when I rewatched it, which was like, yeah, because parents wouldn't ever go, I wonder what he's up to. Maybe we should check it out. Or, or yeah, just or at like, least listen in the door. You know, they're, they're surprisingly nonchalant about their teenage son's activities. I suppose um, like the dad is like supposed to be pretty cool and all of that, but yeah, it's borderline negligence. <laughs> yeah, well, there's a point where Mark says, "I get good grades and you leave me alone." Isn't that supposed to be the deal? Yeah. It's like, uh, no, that's ridiculous. Um, so, did you watch Mr. Robot? Must have stunk as well. Yeah, you didn't want to think. Uh, no, you didn't watch Mr. Robot. Oh, so good. Oh, hang on, was this a Netflix series? Remind me what it was about. It's got that guy who played Freddie Mercury in the Queen biopic. No. Yeah, we talked about them the other day where... No, I'm thinking about iRobot. I haven't seen Mr. Robot. Oh, God. <laughs> yeah, very different. Oh, my God, you should watch it. It's so good. Um, anyway, Christian Slater plays the father in it. 
And oh, if I haven't said it ten times already, he's still got it. He's still got it. Um, it kind of revived his career, um, and Sam Esmail, who uh, uh, basically created it, cast Christian because he was such a big fan of Pump Up the Volume. And apparently there's quotes and nods to it all over, like the fingerprints of it are all over Mr. Robot. What's it about? Christian you know, Donner. I could have seen it. You know what I'm like? It's, it was basically like a renegade kid who gets other people involved in you think well like, there's kind of a bit of a spoiler so I don't really okay it's great it's really great Re- Re- Remy why can't oh my god I've just completely Remy you carry on Remy Malik it up. if I can see the, the Remy Malik that's the, his name okay. he's amazing in it um, yeah he's like a maybe anyway no I'm not gonna I'm okay. not gonna say I'm gonna tell you another spooky fact yeah Christian Slater was supposed to be the lead character in The Crow Oh, but it all fell through because he asked for too much cash. Oh my god, I have seen Mr. Robot. Hang on, did you say Mr. Robot or I Robot? I, I have Mr. seen Robot. Mr. Robot. Oh, yeah, I recognise that guy now. I've seen it. I don't remember. Yeah, the yeah, mate. Shame. <laughs> <laughs> Told you. <laughs> okay. I'm yeah, no, t- it was good. It was good. <laughs> I don't yeah. remember Christian yeah, it was like good. <laughs> God. I was so glad to see him. He was also in a really funny show called uh, Breaking In, which did one series and it was so funny. And then uh, it got ditched. But then another, um, you know, TV company picked it up and then they changed it all. And Christian Slater was really fucking funny in it as well. Massively gutted about that. He's so good in um, Very Bad Things as well. You know that, that one where they go to Vegas? I, I forgot to say, <laughs> massive fan of Christian Slater. Basically, I've seen all his movies. Just love him. Just love him. Yeah, no, you've, you've, yeah, you've mentioned it on yeah, yeah, on Did occasion. <laughs> no, but hang on, going back to the Crow. Because oh god, I used to love that film and rewatched it recently, and it's really not very good. But what? How come? What happened? Why didn't? Why wasn't Christian Slater in it? Because he asked for too much money. Oh right, okay. Because he's probably drunk off his heart. <laughs> he's got lots of DUI fights. Yeah. Today. Apparently people um, interviewing him uh, are told by his publicist, don't ask about the drinking. He doesn't want to talk about it. He doesn't want to be taken back there. You know, it's it was a bad time. He's moved on. You know, all that LA talk. And, um, and then invariably he'll bring it up and talk about it loads in interviews. So, you know, yeah. I guess he wants it to be on his terms. Uh-huh. Fair enough. Fair enough. Fair enough. I mean, nobody wants to be questioned. Like, remember that time you punched your date? Because <laughs> you were offering that bit up. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, well, I think he alludes, but he doesn't really get into it. Well, he says he doesn't remember. Which seems likely, yeah. <laughs> given given his past. All right, so, yeah, that pretty much... Um, she remembers, that. God. Yes, yes, I'm sure she does. Um, yep, that concludes... Pump up the volume. I I, I gotta play it again because I was so excited to be able to put this on a soundboard. You out there? <laughs> you listening? So good. <laughs> that should be that should be on you strap. Yeah. Are you out there? Listening. Are you listening? <laughs> it's not. No, if you are listening and you've enjoyed like that. <laughs> But yes, if you are listening and uh, you've enjoyed this episode, go and check out our others, please. Or did you take your top yeah. off? Did you just the mention of Christian Slater, <laughs> you just had to rip it off. Um, and it would be wonderful if you could uh, leave us a five-star review or subscribe uh, wherever you listen. Uh, tell your friend. Just tell a friend. Um, would <laughs> tell your friend. would be great. Tell, tell your friend. Your friend. <laughs> Yeah. Not us, though. Not us, though. We know about it already. Tell your other friend. We don't want too many listeners, Hannah. It's going to get crowded. It's going to get awkward. (laughs) Yeah, just you and your friend, the one that's not us. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds good. Uh, That would be fab. And you can find us on uh, SomaGXP at Twitter. Uh, That is how you say it, yeah. Um, What, Twitter or (laughs) SomaGXP? At SomaGXP. It's Twitter, Um, actually. So you could say that. uh, Yep. Uh, we are on Instagram, Sartes and Janet's podcast, Facebook. You can leave us a voicemail on Anchor FM. And I've recently downloaded the app because the old school website stopped working on my phone. But the app is really cool because you can just like you can just send the voicemail from there. Mm. So I'm going to send you one, Lily. Yeah. <laughs> is now a good time to tell you that I forgot to put the SD card in the contraption? 
I don't know. What does that mean? <laughs> that we haven't recorded anything. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> yeah, I am. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was hoping for a louder reaction. A bit disappointed. <laughs> I might have to cut that bit out. <laughs> I'll try again some other time when you're not That's expecting right, You'd be it. doing all the work again. I don't care. I'll just sit there and drink gin. <laughs> Work towards my DUI. <laughs> oh. <laughs> fine i'm getting new but it's fine yeah uh right well thanks for listening you've been so much xp bye bye